what I'm seeing is it really becomes much less about a technology discussion. And that's how I, as I look at, you know, the last 16 years, how the role has changed and evolved is it's not about uh, the bits and bytes and the technology. You really end up having much more of a business conversation. We can really connect anything. It's around the, the ROI and the business value to the customers now. So, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you didn't have that ubiquitous connectivity around the world, but now we're connecting uh, global assets for companies. Welcome to Conversation with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined in the studio by David Von Dorseller. I hope I pronounced that right, David. Uh, David's the uh, AVP for Manufacturing Solutions at AT&T Business. David, welcome to the show. Great to uh, have you on air. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Des. And now I should explain to our listeners where I'm at. So I'm currently, it's about uh, 11 uh, o'clock at night, and here I'm here in Berlin. You're in the U.S., uh, so we're on uh, different sides of the planet, but uh, in the same place uh, in a virtual sense to have a great conversation. Now, David, I'd love to dive into your role in a bit more as far as uh, what the uh, a day in the life of an AVP of Manufacturing Solutions at AT&T Business entails, and then a number of exciting topics we've got to chat about with regard to the whole space of manufacturing and IoT and 5G and so forth. But before we do, I wonder if you'd mind giving uh, listeners a little insight into you personally as to a bit of your background, you know, where you're originally from, where you grew up. Any fun anecdotes and insights into your academic and career path that sort of brought you to this exciting role? Absolutely. And, and thanks again for having me and for meeting me so late where you're at. Uh, I was born in northern Illinois, a place called Rockford, Illinois, which is on the northern side, and really grew up on the southern part of the United States and have spent about half of my life uh, here in Texas. So as you mentioned, I'm, I'm here in Dallas today. And uh, just my just moved my family up actually uh, from Houston about ten months ago to take this role. Um, so I, I it's, we've been uh, relocated. We've we've gotten settled, and we're in a good spot here in Dallas. Now, tell us a little bit about your background as far as how you came into this role and your academic career path. What uh, what does it take to get into the role of AVP of uh, Manufacturing Solutions? Well, I, actually, I started with AT&T out of college in a sales role. So I've been here 16 years now. I just had my 16-year service anniversary last month. Oh, congratulations. Um, the thing that I love – yeah, thanks. The thing, the thing that I love about working for AT&T is, is think about how much technology has changed over the past 16 years. Uh, we've made a lot of really interesting acquisitions since then. And that's really given me the opportunity every couple of years or so to take on a, a new role or a new challenge. And so I, I went to college uh, here in, in Texas as well. Um, so I mentioned that, started uh, with AT&T out of college, went into uh, sales here in North Texas, and uh, have really worked with our enterprise customers from small business customers uh, to Fortune, all the way up to Fortune 500 and global customers over the past 16 years. Um, and prior to joining, uh, moving up here and taking this role, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, I spent four years in our advanced applications group and our IoT group. And so worked with customers right after iPhone into mobile applications, developing enterprise-level applications for their organizations. A lot of people didn't know that, that we were in that business, uh, but we helped large companies uh, really utilize mobile technology and get that get that business moving which then led into the Internet of Things. So I was really fortunate to be able to be part of that organization when it started up and worked a lot with manufacturers that were looking to create new business models through IoT. So think about how we're able to take um, items that they manufacture that they had traditionally sold uh, you know, as a good or and really turn it into a service and provide that insight and visibility that they were looking for um, and then the, uh, after working with manufacturers, spent about 18 months working with transportation companies. Um, so that's part of the, the group that I now support. So it was kind of a nice lead-in into my current role, having spent the last four or five years working with manufacturers and transportation companies. Wow. Perfect pedigree to this role. And, it, I mean, everything I read, and I was reading a recent blog that you'd uh, penned around this whole topic of transportation and trucking and particularly some of the new technologies that are going to be impacting it and particularly around manufacturing such as uh as iot as you alluded to now and particularly 5g and uh i mean it seemed to me there's a very very broad remit that you cover in your role i mean what does a day in the life of the app of manufacturing solutions entail i mean i imagine it's a fairly broad 
scope of job title uh, that you're currently covering? It is. It really, really focuses on all of the solutions and services that we bring to market. Uh, we have, on my team, we have kind of two groups. We've got a, a team of marketing uh, people that are on the team trying to help really look at setting the strategy for the market, um, looking in, at the industry and how things are, are working from a trend standpoint, working with the analyst community to really learn. So we're constantly in learning mode to try to help our customers. Um, and then we have a team of, of industry solution architects that we have really hired uh, externally from uh, manufacturers to help kind of bring some additional industry knowledge to help us build those solution sets. I think that's that's really critical because um, when we were we started this journey for industry solutions uh, 15 months ago, and manufacturing was was of course one of those industries, and and you need to have that industry credibility and knowledge to be able to help companies. And so we've got kind of both of those teams working together to help drive. Uh, the industry solutions that we think our customers need. And that includes um, really being able to move beyond kind of the buzzwords and, and bring solutions that, that help customers. And it's a, it's a great team that we have here, and I have a lot of fun doing it. Well, I can imagine you do. Well, one of the topics that comes up regularly is uh, Internet of Things, or IoT as we refer to it now. And it's a great coinage because it does describe the, the concept very, very well. But... Um, we see this, uh, you know, right across the board, impacting a number of key industries, and, and manufacturing is no different. I mean, where, where do you see the Internet of Things having the greatest impact in your world? I imagine there's areas around uh, fleet and asset tracking and supply chain uh, visibility and so forth. What are you seeing out there now that's uh, being uh, either positively or negatively impacted that people should be thinking about? And uh, I'd love to get any insights you can sort of share around what you're seeing in the industry as a whole. Uh, and not necessarily just in North America, but globally, if uh, you've got some sense of that. Absolutely. I think you, you said one of those things that uh, I, I'm hearing a lot with our customers, and that's supply chain visibility. They're still looking for that insight into their supply chain uh, from a logistics standpoint, and that's really driving um, solutions around asset tracking and fleet, because you think about the ability to track the fleet, you know, so you have the, the truck, uh, you have the ability to render that solution on a tablet so that, that basically Department of uh, Highway Safety Patrol people can uh, see the application. Here in the United States, we have an hours of service mandate, you know, ELD it's called, and it really ensures that uh, the truckers are spending um, the right amount of time that they're allocated uh, driving for safety purposes. And you kind of bring all of these technologies together from in the cab for the, the trucker and for the company, and you mirror that and marry it to the assets. So look at what's happening inside the trailer, and then also how do you track the assets? So we're seeing a lot of solutions um, coming together and customers looking for this where it really provides that visibility, not just to the truck, but the trailer and also the asset inside of that. And so I think that's a, a key trend that we'll continue to see um, today and into the future is providing that kind of important visibility there. There's um, a lot of talk around the world now around uh, some of the value add that comes beyond this as well. I'd love to get your insights just briefly on it. When we think about some of those topics like Fleet management, asset management, asset tracking, particularly around this whole topic of supply chain uh, management, supply chain visibility. And this whole end-to-end -end thing, and it's, it's a thing that I'm seeing now come out of AT&T, and I'd love to sort of get your thought on it, and that is that people don't just want to take you know from A to B and then B to C. They want to know all the way from A to Z and beyond, uh, and they want multiple tiers, multiple layers. So it's like not just what's happening with the truck and not just the health of the truck and the state of the truck, um, but, you know, all the way down to, you know, is the truck leased and financed, what assets are in there, what's the risk on it, all the way through to, you know, what what is inside the truck and, and track that, you know, might be strawberries being shipped, the temperature of the strawberries when they're picked. And that whole, uh, I guess, you know, manufacturing on demand or growing and shipping on demand, it seems to me that IoT enables a whole range of those things in, in almost like a stack that you can manage the asset that's shipping things around, you can manage the assets themselves that are being shipped around, you can manage the, the, the service or the quality of the things that's being shipped around so that it's on demand, on time selling. This must create some, some amazing conversations where people have these little eureka moments, these little aha moments going, 
wait, so I can do all this with my fleets and infrastructure. I can do this with the assets are moving around, and I can do this end-to-end with my supply chain. I mean, what are some of those experiences like when you're in a boardroom or in a meeting room presenting on this and people finally get that they can have multiple tiers of value across their entire organization, and then they start looking at you to say, well, well David, how do, we, how do we make this happen? Yeah, what I've, I think that's a great point because what I'm seeing is it it's really becomes much less about a technology discussion. And that's how I, as I look at you know, the last 16 years, how the role has changed and evolved is it's not about uh, the bits and bytes and the technology. You really end up having much more of a business conversation because we're finding that we can, we can really connect anything. It's around the, the ROI and the business value to the customers now. So, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you didn't have that ubiquitous connectivity um, around the world. But now we're connecting uh, global assets for companies, you know, over 200 countries and doing it at scale. So millions of devices. And that really becomes an interesting, uh, like you said, it's a boardroom level discussion around new business models, scaling that and then creating the right infrastructure that is a standard that is able to be repeated around the world. And I think that's really one of the key things because each in each of the different uh, parts of the world, you have different regulatory issues around privacy, um, but we're able to help customers really get through that and really kind of plan to be able to have their enterprises scale and really provide that, that kind of new experience or business model that they need to change the direction that they're going. I had a couple of, of interesting use cases that I that I worked on over the years. Uh, we worked with a a company that was uh, basically manufacturing wheelchairs, and they sold those wheelchairs as a wheelchair good one-time sale um, to the, the to the patient that needed it. And they really shifted their model, utilizing the AT and T uh, innovation center that we have to be able to uh, get that wheelchair connected to be able to provide that insight and be able to uh, basically offer it as a service. So it really changes business models through IoT. It provides that visibility and insight to make decisions and, and service those as needed. There must be a long list of new and exciting emerging technologies that are impacting manufacturing as, as, as an industry group and as, a, as an ecosystem in many ways. What are you seeing come out of this, this sort of whole digital transformation experience that we're seeing around the world. What are some of the other new and emerging technologies that are exciting you the most about what's happening in your industry with manufacturing? Yeah, I'm really interested in AR, augmented reality, as you mentioned. I think as you look at the factory floor um, from an automotive standpoint, think of that use case with heavy machinery, really being able to optimize production. So we're thinking about use cases uh, from an end-to-end workflow standpoint that really helps the digital uh, transformation of production uh, down to increasing efficiency, uh, creating the 3D digital twins, real-time analytics that you need to couple with the IoT and AI, um, and then just really basically increasing productivity. Um, So solutions that focus on shorter design and production timelines, uh, maybe remote worker being able to have take somebody that is uh, really experienced and senior that's able to remotely through AR look at the lens of that to be able to uh, help a new employee or a new worker. Because I think one of the things that you see in the manufacturing industry, um, especially here in the United States, is that there are a lot of open manufacturing positions and jobs. And they require a skill set and the ability from a, a technology standpoint that is maybe different than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And I think this type of, of technology that really brings it all together and, and allows some remote assistance slash mentoring is going to be really helpful over the next three to five years um, as you kind of look to the future of, of how this technology will, will play out. It's, a, it's available today, but we're seeing, um, as you look at, I think long-term, it's going to be very helpful as you look at new network connectivity options like 5G that help reduce that latency, really help drive more bandwidth to that application because it's a really bandwidth intensive application. I think you're going to see even more of that over the next year or two. I was reading something the other day um, on a related note with regard to the uh, multi-generation challenge that uh, 
as you mentioned, there are a lot of jobs being listed uh, that are still unfilled in many ways uh, around manufacturing. And I guess like many industries, manufacturing's probably gone through a, a slight shift where it's not necessarily seen as a, a sexy job anymore. But I think when uh, younger generations see that a number of the skill sets that they want to develop and a lot of the experience they want to gain is actually available in manufacturing if it's done right, uh, we have this thing where a number of industries have you know as many as five different generational uh, age brackets. This is sort of the baby boomers all the way to the, the Gen X and Gen Y and now some young kids in Gen Z coming through as interns. And then the sort of millennials overarching a number of those. There's a, a big cultural behavioral shift taking place I see in a number of key industries. And I think manufacturing is probably the same. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that, you know, there's a lot of knowledge in the older generations that have sort of been uh, gleaned from hands on and being practitioners and stubby pencils and notepads all the way through to now, as you're saying, that you know augmented reality and a whole range of other technologies can help with everything from training and education at the entry point. Uh, you know, you can have someone on the other side of the planet as the expert in it and share some of that knowledge through virtual technologies or, you know, have that, that knowledge and data captured and share that through augmented reality so that you look through a smartphone or a tablet or whatever the case may be or some form of camera and see that data overlaid in various forms. But I guess it also then goes to the other end from an operational point of view, and that is that operationally, even if you have had a couple of years of experience, if you can lay uh, 35 plus years of, of knowledge into that system um, and, and, and add that value around, you know, we know this thing does X, Y, Z under certain circumstances and a little pop-up can say, well, it's not just a widget, but this widget's been here for five years. We know that based on our asset management platform. Uh, so you should perhaps have a look at it. And uh, that depth of knowledge, that depth of information that you can you can augment the view of the world with seems to me that it's going to open up a whole new range of exciting jobs that maybe weren't considered sexy before. Now people are going to look at manufacturing and say, well, actually, that's going to completely change my view of this. Maybe I, I want to pro approach this job. Are you seeing that take place around the industry in particular areas uh, in any way? Or is that a, a trend that's taking place that new new kids on the block, as it were, are looking at going, well, yeah, maybe this is the space I want to come back to now, whereas before maybe some of those jobs are, are still you know, unfilled. Because I think this is happening across a lot of other industries where they've had these generational gaps take place that they're finding it hard to find uh, younger generations get interested in, and all of a sudden they apply technologies such as augmented reality to it where it becomes a little bit more approachable, a little easier to enter, easier to get education and get hands-on and be a practitioner, that all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe I'll try this space. Now, I wonder if manufacturing is going through or can go through a similar uh, re-emergence in some form in that sense. What's your view on that? I think it can, absolutely. I, I think as you look at some of the abilities that the new stuff that's, that's coming out, as we just kind of talked about a few of those, it really allows to uh, an opportunity for somebody to come into the the industry that's interested in technology and is interested in learning new things and, and really being able to take that uh, to the next level and, and really be exciting. You know, so if you think about what IoT can bring, we, we walk through customers all the time through use cases where um, there's asset tracking problems on the manufacturing floor. Where is that tool? Where is that part? Um, instead of having somebody that is new to the industry walking around trying to find and identify that in a, in a huge facility, you're able to now have that information right there at your fingertips, know exactly where it's at, allow that resource um, to leverage their time more efficiently to be able to really help impact the business. And I think if you just think about some of the new exciting stuff that they're going to be able to utilize in their jobs uh, from from tablets, applications, 3D rendering of digital twins, um, all the way down to um, you know new AR stuff that we haven't even thought of yet. I think it's a really exciting space to enter. And if you think about the other things that they'll have to manage as they enter into the industry, um, think about things like robotics and more massive industrial IoT applications. So I think it's an opportunity to really upskill um, the overall, you know, going into the industry and really get to work on some exciting stuff. Yeah, I, there's so many, uh, you know, the, so many schools of thought with the robotics and a lot of people used to panic the robot's going to take all the jobs. But but then, you know, there's really nothing fun about lifting a two-ton uh, widget of some form and moving it from one side of the factory floor to the other to make it do stuff. I mean, I was at a paper mill recently for a newspaper and uh, they used to have human operators drive forklifts around and move these two-and-a-half-ton rolls of paper to 
put on the machines and the printing presses and go through the knives and you know newspapers that fall out the other end all folded up and you could read the daily press um they've now replaced the whole process with automated robotic tools that that do all the heavy lifting and the humans are doing the smart stuff and they're leveraging artificial intelligence to predict and plan which needs to be loaded and when and how and all, they had this 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 whole wave of, of realization take place across the organization globally but particularly in southeast asia where i was looking at their part of the business and i remember saying to them remember when you were panicking about robots taking your jobs well you you've got twice as many humans now doing interesting and fun challenging things to add value to the printing press business to the printing of newspapers industry that you couldn't do before because all these people were running around lifting heavy things with forklifts now they could be doing smarter things and printing five different newspapers in the same day rather than just one that must be happening in many ways in manufacturing where some of those laborious and, and dead-end jobs or just lifting heavy widgets and moving them around can be moved to slightly autonomous and intelligent devices uh, so that you can start doing slightly smarter things around manufacturing and start to add a lot more value to that whole platform I think I think it's going to be a fully connected experience uh, very soon. And you, we we talked about some of the things around digital transformation, Industry 4.0. Companies are are going through it. I still think that you know 80% of the devices on the manufacturing floor are still analog. You know, so they have the ability to go digital. But if you think about that evolution of of the industry, you're going to have a fully connected experience for those employees as they come into the industry that's going to be very different than it was um, 20 or 30 years ago with real-time information. And I think one of the things that that we're looking at is, you know, how does 5G help in that area? You know, so if we're looking into the future, think about the, uh, the capability of a robotics that is enabled with 5G so it doesn't have the industrial cabling that's required uh, today that is able to be pulled in and out of service as needed to be able to keep the uh, the production line more efficient and really leverage the uptime for the facility. And really, you can do that with lower latency, higher bandwidth to those um, robotics uh, on the manufacturing floor. And I think that's where we're going to start to see 5G uh, coming in the future bring that fully connected experience to those new employees. It reminds me of uh, an anecdote some years ago when um, Boeing removed all the copper wiring in the 747 and the super jumbos. You know, they used to have copper wire going through the floor for every in-seat screen for entertainment. They had uh, wires going up and down the plane for uh, fly-by-wire stuff where people sort of pulled a lever on the front and made uh, an aileron or a rudder move. And then in the entertainment space, they, they just started to roll out Wi-Fi and everyone started bringing their own devices for domestic flights or international flights used uh, wirelessly connected screens. And apparently they removed something like 1.5 tons of copper from the airplane. And it turns out you can do a lot with an airplane and fly it a lot longer and faster and cheaper if you can remove 1.5 tons of copper wire that you didn't need out of it anymore. And I imagine that's the sort of thing we can see now happening in the manufacturing space around the application of new technologies, not just Wi-Fi, but particularly the likes of 5G. We've got high-speed connectivity, you've got low latency, high throughput, high bandwidth. Um, and we're talking about orders of magnitude more throughput and speed when it comes to 5G. And you've got the sort of the, the, the wider area, radio area network stuff all the way through to in-building and different uh, design models around this. It, and I think one of the things that I heard uh, one of your peers uh, say recently that, that 5G is not just another G. It's not like the, the sort of journey we went through from 2 to 3G with you know radio to digital and then Four, uh, three to four G, where sort of you know we could do a little bit of audio to you know, now streaming movies. Uh, this was a complete game changer in that it's machine to machine connectivity and it's uh, you know designed specifically uh, for the types of things you're talking about of lots of sensors, lots of devices talking backwards and forwards, and, you know, dumb sensors gathering data where they need to, intelligent sensors talking to each other. One of the things that brings me to is uh, I'm interested to get your view on what's happening with that whole edge computing space because as we put all these sensors out there and as we see the enablement and deployment of 5G uh, as in the fifth generation of networking in the telco space, how does that play out with the whole edge computing challenge? And I mean, I know there's technologies like uh, multi-axis edge computing. I know you're doing a lot of work around this space. 
data becomes a new challenge because now data is at the edge of the network. We'd love to get your insights and thoughts around some of those ancillary elements that come out with 5G and, and some of the different use cases we can now make uh, use of around edge computing and, and, and multi-access edge computing. Absolutely. I think, you know, first of all, 5G, I think, will, will mean that manufacturers can really connect more sensors, more devices and assets through a single network. Uh, really, that'll give them, uh, I keep coming back to visibility into their supply chain. And I think that the possibility for that is, is really endless. I think when you talk about edge computing and multi-access edge computing, that's going to give the ability, as you mentioned earlier, you know, with, with 3G, 4G, we're sending a lot of information back to the cloud for that more complex processing. With 5G, it is a game changer and it's a great opportunity because you're going to be able to do that computing now at the edge. Since you have low latency, you have high bandwidth and you have the computing power at the edge, you're going to be able to do a lot of those advanced analytics. It's going to really bring, you know, we talked a little bit about um, AI, machine learning, AR, VR, uh, those types of applications when you're doing that at the edge is going to be able to really be able to, to kind of take and, and scale just because you have low latency and you have that ability to do it there. The multi-access part means that it could be, it could be wireless, it could be Ethernet, it could be Wi-Fi, and you're able to then take those different applications that are running on different access mediums and keep them there at the edge. And so what that means for manufacturing, if you kind of tie the tech back to the business world, is they're going to be able to help um, those engineers on the floor are going to be able to look at those uh, CAD files, those 3D uh, imaging much faster and be able to look at how those things are, are working real time on the manufacturing floor because seconds matter when you're working in the manufacturing environment from a production standpoint. So I think being able to do that all real time uh, without the, the computing power in the cloud, being able to bring that closer to the edge, I think is going to really see um, so many more use cases. And, and you talked about, you know, it's just not another G. And I, I couldn't agree more uh, because you're, you, you, we don't know all the opportunities that are yet to come with 5G. And we're just talking about a few areas that we're, we're kind of looking at into the future. But I think it has the opportunity to, to revolutionize the, the manufacturing space. Indeed. And, you know, I remember when the uh, smartphone became a thing and the iPhone came out and a lot of people for a couple of years failed to realize that this wasn't just a phone anymore. It was a computer in our hand and you could run apps on it. And all of a sudden, you know, people woke up to what that actually meant. And now, you know, we sort of talk about having a smartphone, but I think the word phone has become redundant because uh, probably less than 1% of what I do with my smartphone is actually make phone calls. I was interested in your, your comment there with regard to what's happening around the edge because, uh, uh, sticking to the uh, aviation theme, I remember when uh, the Dreamliner 787 came out and we did some math around it, we worked out that uh, the, the traditional design model of gathering data from sensors, and the 787 was um, quite, it was made quite famous because I think they had like 6,000 sensors in the wings because the wings bend up to about 25 degrees on takeoff. And uh, so obviously they want to make sure that thing's healthy. Uh, but we worked out at least 6,000 sensors on average every time the plane took off and landed. Um, it generated something in the order of around about two, uh, 2 2.5 uh, terabytes of data. Uh, and then we, we started doing some math around this, and it turns out there's 84,700 flights just domestically in the U.S. airspace alone every day. And when you multiply 87,400 by uh, <laughs> uh, even just half a terabyte, you end up with 43 petabytes of data. There's no way you're going to copy that much data from all the airplanes around the U.S. back to a centralized data center. So we had to think about how do we deal with this challenge um, that we're just not going to be able to copy all the data off the planes into a central place to, to do central analytics on it. And then, you know, this whole concept of not just edge computing, but now what IoT is all about is it's sort of having to change that design model. And I imagine manufacturing, as you're seeing it today, is undergoing the same sort of um, either design transformation where they can be in control of it or, in some cases, a required transformation because the sheer volume of data, the sheer volume of connectivity, uh, the short volume of, of devices and so forth out there are such that you can no longer just copy the entire thing up to a centralized cloud that you are going to have to move some of that compute to the edge and gain that insight and intelligence and then make it autonomous in some ways and only bring back to the central sort of cloud as it were the bits that you need the metadata where you can make centralized decisions 
Are there any standout areas that you've seen that have gone through that similar challenge where all of a sudden this uh, Cambrian explosion of things being connected has created uh, a, a new challenge that we hadn't anticipated in manufacturing where um, you're having to now look at it in a different lens and go, well, okay, this has happened. We've got a lot more data, a lot more capability to do compute, but we've also a requirement to do that we hadn't necessarily anticipated that is potentially a positive but needs to be thought in differently. Yeah, it really speaks to the, the whole OT to IT integrated data management um, that's happening in the industry. So OT is the operational technology and IT is obviously the information technology. And they're, historically, they've been different. You know, they've taken different approaches to things. And what we're seeing is uh, the OT, IT convergence is, is a topic that all of our customers are talking about. It's at every industry event that we're at. And companies are working through that data management practice, you know, the data strategy and the governance and the architecture as they look to do that computing uh, and change their model uh, back to the edge, that becomes really important because as you're doing that, there's certain things that you have to think through. And a big one that, that we haven't talked about yet is cybersecurity. You think mm -hmm. about all of these new uh, devices that you're adding as you move into massive IoT, you're now talking about AR, VR goggles. We're talking about think of all the things that we're talking about adding to a network. How do you protect that information? And there are gaps today that we see between OT, you know, it's happening on the floor, and IT. And I think there's a that's something that is happening right now in the industry. Companies are are working through that, and they're at different levels and, and a journey on that. We've seen things from, you know, keeping the organization separate to creating joint organizations that really work together to solve some of those problems and really take a, a cohesive approach to. Um, you know, really having IT be part of the operations on the floor to ensure that everything really is secure as you're adding all of these new devices. Uh, really, cybersecurity needs to be kind of one of the first things that you're thinking about as you deploy all of these new devices. We're talking about all the fun things and, and the interesting business opportunities that you get out of it. But the, probably the most important thing from if you're sitting you know, at the, the board is, is it secure and is it at risk um, to me as a company or uh, to an organization to ensure that it's really uh, all of these new things are, are tight and they're secure on the network? Yeah, well, I guess we've seen that with um, even something as simple as a smartphone, haven't we, that you know, once upon a time your employee would give you a phone <clears throat> and they'd lock it down just the way they do with a desktop computer or something to that effect or a laptop. I mean, these days everything's BYOD, and I can't remember the last time I met someone who actually got a phone handed to them by their employer, unless it's a specific use case for some reason. Um, although some great news, I guess, from uh, AT&T Business' point of view, with your recent acquisition of AlienVault, uh, now known as AT&T Cyber, uh, I had the chance to uh, be part of the RSA conference recently in San Francisco with the AT&T Business team, and uh, I was quite enthusiastically excited about. Uh, the whole end-to-end -end integration that you were just talking about um, with manufacturing seems to be across a number of verticals where um, what AT&T Business has done with this acquisition is now take all of the insights you've had from the network and all of the business solutions and services you've got that you provide, providing that insight with the relevant access controls and governance and so forth, such that that intelligence at the network level all the way through to the devices and the, the business logic and the systems and the operational component can be glued together, and I think someone referred to it as a, the whole closed loop now where you can sort of go to A to Z and all the way back and join the dots so that these point solutions that used to have gaps in them now, the gaps are getting smaller and smaller to the point where you'll eventually plug them all, and some of those things you're talking about with regard to the potential risk of cybersecurity become known, they become controlled and managed, and you know I don't think any system is going to become fully secure, but in, in cybersecurity... Uh, and, and, and business security in general, I think it's more a case of managing the, the layers of risk. Um, where are some of the areas you're seeing this play out in, in manufacturing? I and mean, I know that's probably an entire show in itself, but are there any standout areas that you've seen recently with devices where um, maybe, you know, unintelligent sensors or dumb sensors, as it were, uh, without being a negative connotation, that are just sitting there listening to things, weren't originally designed to be secure, but you've been able to put your arms around them and provide that control and governance and, and, and security to them to now make them a lot safer and a lot, uh, I guess, uh, you know, easy to integrate into some environments that they perhaps previously weren't suitable for. 
Yeah, I think you made a great point too. I mean, we we I just wanted to touch on this real quick. We typically have seen I've seen up to twenty or thirty different point solutions with some of our customers from a cybersecurity standpoint, and and we do really focus with uh, the the acquisition that we made with Alien Vault to be able to what I what we call plug the seams. You know, so you have these seams over these twenty or thirty different um, solutions that the companies have typically purchased uh, for various point reasons, point solutions. Um, to be able to unplug those scenes is, has been a real area of interest for our customers. Um, but I think as you look at, uh, I think one of the things that is uh, really interesting, and it's not just on the manufacturing floor, we can move back into the supply chain, is a lot of these new IoT devices are devices that are on the move. So as we talk about providing that supply chain visibility, they're not just on the manufacturing floor. They're they're in the back of the truck. They're an asset that's being moved. And so really being able to create a secure solution for those assets that are on the move that might look like um, you know, a SIM, a SIM card that's connecting to the internet, we're we're looking at ways and, and have helped companies kind of mirror that device with the SIM, with the actual where they're at. Uh, to be able to provide kind of a secure solution, so they're there. If, if for some reason that SIM card is removed while they're in motion, the whole service uh, stops. And this is a, a really effective way. Um, if somebody tries to take a, a SIM card out of an IoT device and put it into their smartphone, it's not going to work. Uh, we have controls in place to ensure that at the device level, those goods and services that are are, are in transit are moving are secure, and then those alerts are sent over to. Uh, the, the company administrator to to provide that kind of awareness, and I think that's that's one thing that we've seen. We've been doing that for many years uh, to help our customers as they scale IoT out into the field. I imagine there's some great use cases in defense where, um, <clears throat> as various things that go bang are built and designed, manufactured parts of it should never leave the warehouse or the manufacturing floor until they get to a certain point where they're safe and locked down and. Uh, you don't necessarily want the turret of a tank leaving the the factory warehouse uh, uh, without it being bolted to the bits uh, that go clunk underneath it. Um, and I know that you know, in aviation, and people are going to give me a hard time about talking about airplanes so much on this, but I, know, I remember uh, Airbus talking about this very challenge that they had so many moving parts, as it were, in the design and engineering and manufacturing of the likes of a uh, an Airbus A380 that bits are literally made all around the world, uh, that you know all the things you're talking about with with asset tracking and the supply chain visibility with that to the point where this thing actually became an airplane and was part of the fleet there were so many moving parts that even if one little widget didn't get there on time or wasn't in the right place at the right time an entire a380 could be hauled to a grinding halt and and wait to that little thing that could be worth two dollars got there and so somebody went and fixed that problem made sure that never happened uh and, and i can see so many different use cases of this when you start uh, doing, I guess what, you know, adding value to that that whole chain, that whole stack, that not only are you managing the visibility around the supply chain and all of the relevant asset tracking components and all the way through to the end of the end journey of the fleet, but now you're adding value at areas that people may not have necessarily originally um, seen as a traditional part of manufacturing. I mean, when we think about cybersecurity, I'm sure there was a time when that as a concept wasn't really considered as something to do with manufacturing, but now it's uh, it's almost a default go-to. Are there any areas around sort of this space, uh, particularly with 5G and some of the things that the, the, the connectivity that's going to be possible uh, makes available? Um, are there any other areas that you're sort of seeing now that are becoming <clears throat> your emerging value-adding value, value adding, uh, components that, that hadn't been uh, thought of before? Because I'm sure you're seeing, I mean, you're literally at the bleeding edge of this whole space around uh, 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 manufacturing, uh, given your exciting role. When we think about edge computing, 5G, all that low latency, the, you know, plugging the gaps in cybersecurity, are there any other areas like cybersecurity, but, but not necessarily directly related, where people have had a conversation with you about what they're trying to do, and you point out and go, well, have, have you thought of this? Or what if you take that into account? Or, you know, are you aware of these things that have come along the line? Are there any other standard areas you think people might need to add to their agenda of topics to be aware of or just gain some insight or even just reach out to their um, AT&T business account exec and say, hey, we need to have a conversation with David and his team about this because we hadn't even conceived this in our manufacturing space. Are there any jump outs that, that they should be thinking about that you've got access to and visibility of because of the breadth and depth of your role that some organizations may not have those insights? Yeah, 
I would say two areas. One would be condition-based monitoring and then predictive maintenance. So I'll, okay. I'll start with condition-based monitoring, and I'll, I'll maybe move out of the, the factory floor for this example and move to a stationary asset that is in the field. It could be an elevator, an escalator, some something that's out in the out in the field at a location, being able to now monitor that elevator, we'll stick with that example, so that when someone comes out up there to service it, they're able to proactively see what might be wrong with that elevator before they go out there. They're able to render that on their on their phone to be able to see what parts might be needed, what might be wrong with the elevator before they actually go and service it. And I'm continuously seeing things that are being manufactured, that are being manufactured with that intelligence built in now to be able to provide that insight into technicians or also offer new business models. So as I kind of go back to that as a service model that I mentioned earlier, I think those are our two options. One, to create a better customer experience. So if you're able to go out instead of having two trips to that location to fix the elevator or escalator in that example, you're able to do it one time with the right part, you're going to reduce your costs in servicing it and you're going to improve the customer experience. So condition-based monitoring is, is something that is available and we've done lots of use cases on that uh, uh, that we can, we can talk about. And the other one is more predictive maintenance. And I think as you get that insight and that data around all of those, we'll, we'll stick with the elevator escalator uh, type scenario, you're going to be able to see those alerts that come up and be able to be more predictive in how you service those and more proactive versus reactive. And so I think those two go hand in hand together. Um, and it's something that we have a lot of experience working in. Do you see the concept of digital twins playing to the space? <clears throat> I imagine that uh, if you've got a fleet of uh, things out in the field and, and you know, we'll stick with the elevator and escalator models because it's a great one. I can visualize it nicely. If I've got 10,000 um, uh, know, lifts or elevators in a building around different parts of the country, I imagine there's a capacity now to glue those two bits around the, the maintenance component you talk about, particularly predictive maintenance, where I can have a digital twin running in a virtual sense in a cloud as it were somewhere and look at what its sense of normal is and compare that with the potentially thousands of other infield real ones moving up and down different floors alike in any sense. And if there's too big a variance between what they are in reality versus what the digital twin says, it can sort of apply some of that predictive maintenance intelligence and say, this door's closing too slowly. Um, maybe there's a, a bearing problem with it or something to that effect. And vice versa, that uh, maybe some configuration goes from the digital twin saying that, it's now nine o'clock in the morning and you should behave this way because of a peak time and the doors open, close faster and slower versus off peak times. Is that a, a thing that's happening these days or is that a new emerging thing that would come about that digital twins get applied to these types of spaces? I think so. Digital twins are, it's something that we're not only hearing uh, from our customers, we're seeing it uh, in the market and uh, also at, at almost every event that we attend, uh, digital twins is uh, something that I think all of our customers are, are looking at. And I, if, you, if you think about how important it is then to be able to compute at the edge, to do that application and have that high bandwidth uh, requirements, I think those are gonna be the enablers of really taking the, the digital twin software out and scaling it. You look at being able to uh, use the AR technologies we talked about before, using IoT to get that insight off of the end device and then using the digital twin then to compare it. You bring all of this back full circle to why would somebody be interested in joining the industry? You get to then really work on complex, interesting problems. You know, you're not just servicing that elevator, you're, you're comparing it um, to the norm and then being able to really uh, create some more insight and intelligence, uh, just being able to help look at all of those things and bring it together, I think really creates for an intellectually uh, challenging and stimulating uh, career and industry. And so you kind of bring all of that full circle of what this, what this means. I, I think it's the industry is really set up uh, well with the new technology that's coming out, the new business models that they're thinking about and bringing it all together 
and digital twins just one example of that I imagine there's a conversation also be had um <clears throat> around the challenge that uh when we think about manufacturing and, and whether it's a factory floor or it's it's trucks moving across the country, these are large sunk costs that a lot of organizations might have historically uh, uh, not been overly excited about sinking money into because there was a long-term ROI on these things. You know, if you, you build some of these big factories, you build some of the infrastructure on the floor and you're building things with various forms that, you know, it takes a while to get your money back out of these things. I imagine there's a conversation you're having now with organizations across what yourself and your team uh, at AT&T Business are doing for some of the organizations where all of a sudden the opportunity to reduce the time to market and therefore reduce the time to making a profit and monetizing these things is, is reduced dramatically because now you can bring some of these insights, bring some of this intelligence into it and find where they can get these business gains uh, above and beyond some of these operational components that you talked about where they're getting leaner, keener, meaner and faster and sharper about making the widgets, but now they can figure out how to get these widgets to market faster and where the market demand is and and meet some of those price requirements. Is the whole monetization component a conversation that's that's sort of in the top three to five things that people start to talk about quickly and, and, and you've got some great news on? Yeah, I think so. The, the, the business justification is really around the ROI, and we're able to quickly identify that. I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean, think about what we've talked about here today, if you're able to find that part because you have it uh, tracked, you just identified a couple of areas where having downtime can impact the, the whole production of something um, and being able to find that uh, thing that is frequently lost uh, through an asset tracking solution, as an example, provides a pretty immediate ROI, especially as some of the device costs um, and the overall solution costs for IoT have come down over time, uh, so your barriers to entry are lower, you start to think about bringing all of that um, together. I think the, the business use cases, um, you start to find a lot of low-hanging fruit that's available, and being able to do uh, that around the world, and not just from a domestic U.S. perspective, but really replicate that tracking solution, replicate the insight and visibility across your supply chain, I think companies are, are creating those standards that they're able to then, you know, copy and paste around the world to just continue to build the business justification. And I think the, the biggest difference uh, to me in this space is in the, and historically, you know, technology is looked at as a cost item uh, to as a requirement for the business. You know, it's a, it's a cost to do business. But if you're able to leverage that to really save money or drive new revenue streams, it's, it's really helping to get a lot of these, uh, these use cases moving. And we're, we move beyond uh, the hype phase. We have over uh, 50 million connected devices on our network around the world from an IoT perspective. And so you're able to see that it's kind of, it's really moved beyond hype into uh, next generation type use cases. We've seen that with data, haven't we? I mean, once upon a time, um... You know, the IT departments would bemoan the drama of hosting, uh, you know, megabytes and then gigabytes and now terabytes and even petabytes of data. And all of a sudden, someone found out a way to monetize it. Now it becomes an asset on our balance sheets and it's got KPIs placed on it and we're getting great value out of it. And I imagine that's taking place in manufacturing where what used to be once a sunk cost is now providing insights and intelligence that has a flow-on effect in a number of spaces. And as you said, it's 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 literally a, a rinse and repeat model that if you can prove it somewhere in part uh, of the organization, it can be repeated elsewhere in other parts of the industry. Now, I know we're coming up on the hour soon. I'd love to uh, wrap up with one thing that I invite my guests to do with regard just a little bit of crystal ball gazing and future vision. If I was to, uh, Dave, if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it for a moment, um, I'd love to get a couple of minutes of your thoughts as to what the next 12 to 18 months uh, in your world uh, might see, particularly what's over the horizon. I mean, you've given some great insights on what's happening today and, and where we've come from and some of the exciting things that you're doing around uh, augmented reality and artificial intelligence, robots and robotics, and how those are all playing into the space that you're in now with you know, everything from fleet and asset tracking to supply chain visibility. If you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball uh, uh, and just sort of ponder where are we going to be instead of 12 to 18 months, What's your thought on kind of some of the new and emerging things that are over the horizon we need to be thinking about to 
what should people be planning to have a conversation now with to be prepared for some of those things that are changing? I think one area I'm really, I'm, I'm really interested in is uh, autonomous. So not uh, the necessarily the autonomous vehicle as, as we might think about it, but on the manufacturing floor, um, whether it's um, items that are helping move parts around or the ability to um, out in a rail yard, as an example, be able to have, uh, whether it's a golf cart or um, basically some kind of uh, machine out in the field, be more autonomous. I think when you have that high, high bandwidth, low latency application that is able to leverage uh, a 5G type connection, I think we're going to continue to see more of that. And I say continue because we, we are seeing that today in a lot of manufacturing facilities. But if you think about um, now, it's no longer about having a great Wi-Fi system or uh, you know that type of setup. You're able to connect directly to the wireless network, which is going to provide uh, consistent performance, so it's going to be about the consistency. Uh, the autonomous space, I think, is one that is uh, ripe for more disruption and more opportunity. Um, and, and that's really before you even get to the whole vehicle space. But I think if you're talking 12 to 18 months time frame, I think there are things happening on that uh, that front today that, with 5G connectivity, will only enable more adoption around the world. Wow, I love that. I, uh, I was reading something that came out of AT&T uh, Business the other day where uh, some of the stuff you're talking about with the uh, autonomy of, of things moving around, um, it, it made me think about the idea that we, we build robots on the floor now and we give them a task. And it struck me that uh, as things become more autonomous and they can move from one part of the floor to another, at 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock they might perform one function and then move themselves somewhere else and provide another function so that the same actual robotic arm can do 10 different things in the factory in sequence and, and various forms. So I do love that visual you've just given us that autonomous things are going to be able to, to, to completely change the way that manufacturing is considered. I guess that then brings us back to thinking about some of those operational and business challenges of how do we now put some of those design models in practice. Well, David, it's been great to catch up with you and fantastic to get to know you personally a bit better and certainly a lot more uh, of an understanding of what your role uh, across that whole space that you're in with regard to uh, manufacturing solutions uh, there at uh, AT&T Business. You've given us some insight into some of the exciting things that are happening today, but also, uh, as you've just alluded to, what's over the horizon. And uh, thanks for making time to catch up. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time, and I enjoyed being on the show. So thank you. You're most welcome. And we'll have you back again soon. Well, folks, we're going to wrap up on that. So there will be information on the show description uh, if you'd like to get more information about what... Uh, Dave and his team are doing around uh, at AT&T Business in the space of manufacturing solutions. We'll look forward to uh, what's coming out of you and your team uh, over the next 12 to 18 months and beyond and an exciting uh, future for us. And uh, really appreciate your time. It's been great to have you on the show again. All right. Thanks, Dave.